We light this candle as a sign of hope in the coming light of Christ. Advent means coming. We are preparing ourselves for the days when there will be no more war or violence. We are preparing ourselves for the days when hope will push all fear and doubt aside as we see the unfolding of God's plan of salvation. The prophet Isaiah teaches, nations shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift, uh, lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. We are preparing ourselves for the coming of Christ, who has come and who will come again. Let us worship God.
was glad when they said unto me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. In the days to come, the mountain of our Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains. Eternal God, creator of all that is and all that will ever be, you are the giver of all life and the source of all good. And yet in your greatness you stand not aloof from us, but come to us in Jesus Christ. We abide in your love and rest in your grace. We thank you and we praise you, O source of all our blessings, through Jesus Christ our Lord. be seated. Grace to you and peace and welcome to the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, both those of us gathered here in this sanctuary as well as everyone worshiping in other places. We are glad and grateful to gather in the house of the Lord and because it is in Christ's house that we are gathered, our word of welcome is one that is extended with no qualifying adjectives whatsoever attached to it. Christ welcomes all and so all are welcome at First Church. We'd like to invite everyone, members and guests alike, please to sign the friendship pad, which you should find on your pew, even if you're the only one on your pew. Sign it, send it down, and back again, and that way we will have the advantage of each other's names. And likewise, we would be very grateful if everyone would join for a time of fellowship at the conclusion of this service. That takes place in Old Buttonwood Hall, which is just out this door to my right, down a short ramp, and there you will find that our deacons have prepared some light refreshments, but most importantly, the opportunity for us to engage with one another in our common life together. It is in engaging in our common life together that leads me to highlight a few things from the announcements portion of your bulletin. The first is to note that we have an adult education series beginning this Wednesday led by the Reverend Barbara Chapel. That is an online series. You'll see information about it on the bulletin and also on our church website where you can sign up to receive the Zoom link for it. Next Sunday, we will do something a little bit different here at First Church. We are going to have Advent lessons and carols. Now, this is not the same as Christmas lessons and carols. We'll have that on Christmas Eve. But Advent lessons and carols should be a wonderful experience for us. And I am, they are based on the seven ancient O antiphons, which are, of course, in our Book of Common Worship as well. And I look forward to, with, to worshiping with you through that next Sunday. Let me highlight as well, amidst all the other opportunities to gather and to give things for those who need things, that we do have a farewell brunch in two weeks between the services. So come at 9.45, 10 o'clock, to have the opportunity to bid a fond farewell to Megan and Annie Lecluse, who are concluding their service with us at the end of the year, at the end of seven and six years, respectively. We are grateful for their ministry, and this is our opportunity to say thank you to them. So please do come from between the services brunch to honor Megan and Annie as they conclude their service with us. I'd like to remind you as well that it is pledge season. You'll see there's an update on the pledge drive in the bulletin. We're doing quite well, but we can always stand to do a little better. So if you are thinking about pledging and haven't yet done it, it's easy. Everything you need to know about pledging can be found on our church website, including the ability to pledge itself. Uh, through our new Realm system, it's easier than ever to make an online pledge or recurring gift. So we thank everyone who has already pledged, and we encourage those who have not to give consideration to making a pledge to support the church in the year to come. If you didn't get a pledge packet and you want a pledge packet, just let us know. We will be happy to get you one. 
And as always, there are pledge cards lying around in various locations. Feel free to fill one out. With all of these things noted, oh, Andrew reminds me that uh, the Blue Pew card has your service music. We have shifted into Advent, and with that, our service music shifts along with it. So grab your Blue Pew card for the service music today. With that, we conclude our announcements and continue our worship with the confession of sin. If we say that we have no sin, then we are strangers to the truth. But the same Bible that teaches us this, that convicts us of our sin, also reminds us that God is always more ready to forgive than we are to ask. God, who is abounding in mercy, will hear our confession. So there's no reason to be afraid of confessing. Simply we draw near to our God who has made us, who knows us, and loves us first in unison, and then in silence as we are more candid before our Maker. Let us pray. God of amazing surprises, we are rushing headlong into this season of buying, giving, greed, and struggle. We want to think of the holiday as delightful, but we have a tendency to make it a time of the highest stress. We overschedule our time, overdraw our resources, Ignore those moments in which we could just relax and have quiet time with our families and with you. We blame it on everything else but our own decision-making. The reality is that your love should be our foundation, the base from which we celebrate. Forgive us for our stubborn insistence on maintaining our plans rather than focusing on your love. Heal us, strengthen us, and make us watchful over our faith in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. proof of God's amazing love is this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Christ rose for us, Christ reigns in power for us, Christ even prays for us. 
So, beloved in Christ, believe the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. The Psalter lesson is taken from the 122nd Psalm. Listen for the word of God to us this day. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together. To it the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord, for there the thrones for judgment were set up, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For the sake of my relatives and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek 
your good. Our gospel lesson is taken from the gospel according to Matthew. We read there in the 24th chapter, beginning at verse 36 and continuing through verse 44. Continue to listen for the word of God. But about that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away, so too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together, one will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken in two. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. May God bless to our hearing and our understanding this reading of God's holy word. Our third and final reading this morning comes to us from the book of Isaiah in the second chapter. The word that Isaiah, son of Amaz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many peoples shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that the Lord may teach us God's ways and that we may walk in God's paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. The Lord shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Oh Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Mr. Appleman, my high school freshman English teacher, was a cool teacher. When I was a freshman, he was a new teacher who had just finished putting himself through grad school in New York City, where he earned money by working as a bouncer at a club at night, a club frequented by NBA players. To a bunch of 14-year-olds living in Phoenix, Arizona, this was fascinating, stories of the big city and what all it entailed. The stories he told us were age-appropriate, of course. And many of them also pointed out to us just how tough he was. With these stories and his intimidating six-foot-eight stature, which you were aware of if he got anywhere near your desk, let's just say behavior wasn't a major concern in his class, even though he was a very gentle and patient person. What made Mr. Appleman such a good teacher, though, is how much he cared about the material and his students, and about helping us learn and appreciate what he was teaching. We had good discussions about what we had been assigned to read. When we read Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, he subtly made sure that we understood all the dirty innuendos in the text making Shakespeare way more interesting to a bunch of adolescent 14-year-olds. You also knew that he was the kind of teacher you could go and talk to if you were struggling, struggling in his class or in any other aspect of life, because you knew that he cared about his students. When I think back, I remember other teachers too, my third grade teacher, Mr. G, who would bring his guitar to class on Fridays and we would get to sing for the last period of the day. Mrs. Kaufman, my seventh grade English teacher, who after I'd been in a traumatic car accident that summer, let me come sit in her classroom on days when being out with everyone at lunch just was too overwhelming. I remember Dr. Pierce, one of my seminary professors, who was probably the most passionate teacher I've ever had. Her love for her material was just contagious. And she would, in her own words, go from teaching or lecturing to preaching on occasion. All of these teachers shared the same traits that made Mr. Appleman such an effective teacher. It was clear that they cared about what they taught, that they wanted to share it, and to help their students learn, and that they cared about the individual students in their classroom. Who are the teachers that you remember? I want you to take a second and think about them. Maybe it's an academic instructor, or maybe it's a coach, a music teacher, a tutor, a Sunday school teacher. It could be a number of different kind of looking roles. Now that you've thought about them, what is it that makes you remember this person who taught you? 
I invite those of you who will join us for coffee hour in Old Buttonwood Hall to share stories with one another, ask one another about your teachers as you enjoy coffee and a snack. And maybe if that person is still alive, write them a thank you note this coming week if you have a way of getting it to them. This kind of small gesture can mean a great deal to these people who do such critical work in the lives of young people, often being paid than they less the less than they should be to do that, and who don't get to see who the children they teach turn out to be most of the time. When we identify as disciples, we are acknowledging our identity as lifelong learners, not just followers, but students of a teacher. Typically, we talk about following Jesus and looking to Jesus as a teacher, which he was and is. But the reality is that we are meant to learn from the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, creator, redeemer, and sustainer. For many of us, especially as Presbyterians, learning from the Holy Spirit can make us a bit nervous, which is fair, because learning from the Spirit is about discernment looking for the ways that God is actively speaking in our lives presently. With Jesus, God took on human flesh, and in doing so allowed us to connect with God in a new way, allowed us to better understand God, because God looked like us. What, though, does it mean for us to look to the creator of the entire universe as our teacher? Who, as Isaiah says, go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that God may teach us God's ways, and that we may walk in God's paths. While God is beyond our ability to fully comprehend, there are several things we can say definitively from this text and from the rest of the scripture. We know that God has all the hallmarks of a great teacher. We know that God is incredibly passionate about the subject. God wants to teach us to live good and just lives, and knows that we will benefit when we strive to do so. Some theologians talk about the Ten Commandments not as a prohibitive set of rules, but as standards of living that will actually provide us freedom if we follow them and help prevent us from creating unnecessary pain in our lives. The things God wants to teach, forgiveness, hospitality, justice, peace, love, hope, are things that we see again and again in both the Hebrew scriptures and in the New Testament. We also know that God cares for God's students more than words will ever express. God has known each of us since before our birth and claims us as God's own. To try to better connect with God, we often use parenting metaphors. So I'm going to mix metaphors a bit here, though for most of us, our parents were some of our first and primary teachers whether for good or bad. God is not a helicopter parent. 
hovering over us, making choices for us, and causing us to feel constrained. Nor is God a snowplow parent, barreling everything out of the way, any obstacles that stand in our way, preventing us from having to face anything that might be a challenge. A few years ago, I first heard the term lighthouse parenting, in which the idea is that the parent is like a lighthouse, shining out the light that the child will need to see what lies ahead, to prevent them from calamity, from wrecking against the rocks, but also allowing the child to find their own path. When we study and learn the wisdom that God wants to teach us, the knowledge provides that light in our lives, the light to guide us on our path and to prevent us from utter disaster. Today is the first Sunday of Advent, the four weeks leading up to Christmas. This morning we lit the first candle, the candle of hope. These candles are also meant to help light our way forward. The candles of hope, peace, joy, and love. And they're meant to be instructive. The Advent texts also teach us about the way forward. During these four Sundays of Advent, the lectionary often provides us with prophetic texts. Texts that may describe realities that have not yet fully come to be, but are where God is trying to lead us. That's the case with this morning's passage from Isaiah. It is a hopeful text depicting a world that could be. It's a text about who we choose as our teacher. Isaiah tells us that all those who go to learn from God learn the way to peace the way to turn weapons into tools that are meant to grow new life, the way to live in a world where nation does not rise up against nation. It's a vision that gives us something to work toward. It's a vision of shalom, peace, wholeness. The question then becomes, are we willing to learn? Are we willing to go up to God's house to learn what God has to teach us and then to implement it into our lives? There are those people we look to as examples of those who have done this by and large, though even those people were far from perfect. And if we think you have to be a great to be a student of God, then we are mistaken. This is an invitation for each of us even if it's one that few choose to fully accept. Advent is seen as a time of waiting, of preparing. This year, as we prepare, I'm going to invite us to think more about what it means for us to be students. But we have to choose who or what our teacher will be. And there are a lot of voices out there competing for our attention. It's a time of year when commercials try to sell us umpteen things, for us or for our loved ones. Our calendars try to sell us busyness, 
and the requisite stress that comes with too much to do. Magazines, movies, and social media try to tell us our house, our things, even our own very selves aren't good enough, aren't Instagram worthy. Will we listen to those voices and the false lessons they try to teach us? Or will we choose God as our teacher and learn another way? Will we choose the way in which we will be shown how to make weapons into plowshares, comebacks into words of care and concern? If we choose God as our teacher, how will you make time to learn and study? Where will you find your classroom? God does not need us to be in the, in the temple or in the sanctuary in order to teach us. God can teach us anywhere and everywhere. But it does take time. Time to listen and to learn. Time to do our homework. I invite you to consider where you need hope in your life. Where do you need peace, need shalom in your life? Will you listen to the lessons that God has for you? What will you do with what you learn? When we struggle, a good teacher doesn't just step in and do the work for us, but sits with us patiently helping us figure out how to do the work ourselves. That's the kind of teacher that God is, empowering us to carry lessons, to carry candles of hope, shining their light into our lives and onto our path, allowing us to carry them out into the world, to shine the light of hope of a world that could be, even when things seem messy and dark. Will you choose to let God be your teacher? To let God's light shine into your life? Amen.
having sung God's praises, having confessed our sin, having heard God's word read and proclaimed, let us now declare our faith. What do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Beloved, all that we have and all that we are is a gift from God that is entrusted to our care for but a season. So we worship God with our tithes and offerings and the prayers of our hearts, either by bringing them up at this time or after the worship service or by giving online. However we give, God loves a cheerful giver.
Eternal God, from your good creation, we have all that we need. Indeed, we have more than we need. And so as we return these portions of what you have gifted to us, to you, we ask that you would bless them and use them, and that in so doing we might see your kingdom at work among us. Through Christ our Lord we pray all these things. Amen. Friends, this is the joyful feast of the Lord. Scripture teaches that people will come from east and west and north and south to sit at this table with our risen Savior, who is even now its unseen host. Indeed, we learn from the pages of Scripture that it was at table when the disciples first recognized their risen Lord as he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened and they knew him. Even still, Christ's followers are called to this table to come and to know our Savior, who invites all. This is not the Presbyterian Church's table. It's not even the Church's table. It belongs to none but Jesus Christ, who calls all, who calls you. Let us pray. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give God thanks and praise. It is truly right and our greatest joy to give you thanks and praise, O Lord our God, creator and ruler of the universe. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. You set us in this world to love and serve you and to live in peace with all that you have made. When we turned from you, you did not turn from us. When we were captives in slavery, you delivered us to freedom and made covenant to be our sovereign God. When we were stubborn and stiff-necked, you spoke to us through prophets who looked for that day when justice shall triumph and peace shall reign over all the earth. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with the celestial choirs and with all the faithful of every time and place, who forever sing to the glory of your name. O God of majesty, and blessed is Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. You sent him into this world to satisfy the longings of your people for a Savior. 
to bring freedom to the captives of sin and to establish justice for the oppressed. He came among us as one of us, taking the lot of the poor, sharing human suffering. We rejoice that in his death and rising again, you have set before us the sure promise of a new life, the certain hope of a heavenly home where we will sit at table with Christ our host. Remembering your gracious acts in Jesus Christ, we take from your creation this bread and this wine and joyfully celebrate his dying and rising as we await the day of his coming. With thanksgiving, we offer our very selves to you to be a living and holy sacrifice dedicated to your service. Great is the mystery of faith. Christ, Christ has died. Christ, Christ is risen. risen. Christ will come again. Glorious God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these your gifts of bread and wine, that the bread we break and the cup we bless may be the communion of the body and blood of Christ. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, that we may be one with all who share this feast, united in ministry in every place. As this bread is Christ's body for us, Send us out to be the body of Christ in the world. Strengthen us, O God, in the power of your Holy Spirit to bring good news to the poor and lift blind eyes to sight, to loose the chains that bind and claim your blessing for all people. Keep us faithful in your service until Christ comes in final victory, and we shall feast with all your saints in the joy of your eternal realm. Through Christ, with Christ, in Christ, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor are yours, almighty God, now and forever. Hear these prayers along with the prayer that we now sing, the prayer that Jesus taught us. On the night before he died on the cross, Jesus gathered with his disciples, and he took the bread and gave thanks for it, and blessed it and broke it. And he shared it with his disciples, saying, Take 
and eat, all of you. This is my body, which is broken for you. Whenever you eat it, do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, after they had supped, he took the cup, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. For as often as you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's saving death until he comes again. Friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Let us keep the feast.
Let us pray once more. Merciful God, we thank you and we praise you that in love you have reached across the abyss of human sin to bring us once more into your embrace. Having thus fed us now at Christ's table, send us to be Christ's body. For it is in his name that we make all of our prayers. Amen.
we leave, may you carry a light of hope out into the world. A light fueled by the instructions of the greatest teacher we will ever know, our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you and abide with you this day and always. Amen.